Hey everyone, we're back for episode three of the Aspiring to the Median podcast, where we take a look at what the Bible says about money and what that means for us. Today, we're taking a deep dive on Keelan's story, and you're not going to want to miss it. So stay tuned. the show, everyone. I'm your host, Cody Hobelman, and I'm here with my co-host and brother, Keelan. Today, we're going to take a really close look at Keelan's story and learn a little bit more about how Aspiring to the Median got started. I'm really excited for you all to hear this. You're not going to want to miss it. Before we get started, I just want to remind you guys that everything we do here on Aspiring to the Median is 100% free, and it always will be. And if you're getting a lot out of the podcast and want to help us get this message to others, the best thing you can do for us right now is leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to the show so you're the first to know when new episodes come out. All right, Keelan, why don't you go ahead and get us started right from the beginning? Yeah, so I guess my faith in general kind of started in high school. That's where I first started to kind of explore faith in general and started to read the Bible a little bit and to try to figure out what it was saying about Jesus, about God and about me and how it all fit together. And it wasn't really until college when I joined a campus ministry and started to meet a lot of other Christian friends where my faith really started to become a dominant part of my life. And over the years in college, I started to find myself making life decisions in the context of faith, which I would say is probably not as much of the case before then. And in that last year of college, my senior year, I remember seeing a number of friends and people that I knew going into different forms of vocational ministry, either into the mission field or into campus ministry or becoming pastor, that kind of thing. And I felt like they were in a way, the first tier Christians. And I knew that I had been studying engineering at that point throughout college. And towards the end of college, I knew that I kind of wanted to go into medicine, but I I knew I was going to be working as an engineer for a bit. Either way, I knew that I was going to have a nice, steady, comfortable income and would not be raising support like all of these other people that I knew. And you know, things were going to be pretty stable on the whole. And so it almost felt like a cop-out. And so I really struggled with that, that last year of college, you know, as I got my job in place for after I graduated and everything started to come together. And I remember specifically, I think one of the big turning points for me was reading Crazy Love by Francis Chan, which is an awesome book. And really lit a fire for me about taking uh, an active part in my faith and in in my life and allowing my faith to be to really define my actions and so the his book was just filled with examples of people whose lives were completely defined by the gospel and that just channeled through them in, in everything that they did and And a lot of those stories had to do with people acting generously 
through their finances, uh, often in pretty radical ways. And that really resonated with me. It's not something that I had really thought a whole lot about before that, but something about his book just really hit me right in the core. And so I started to think a lot about generosity and about, you know, being in a career, either engineering or in medicine, that was probably going to be decently paid, that maybe that was a significant purpose, a a calling that God had placed on me, and one of the reasons that he had put me in that position. So I continued exploring that through that year, and I was engaged to my wife, Allison, at the time, and she was at a different school, and we started to talk a lot about what I was reading and some of those ideas, and God, at the same time, started to work through her as well and was beginning to stretch her in the ideas of of generosity and and just kind of moving through both of us at the same time. And it was cool because he would stretch me for a little bit and and I would want to do something and then uh, he would stretch her in a different way and and she would surprise me with something that she felt called to. And so he continued to work through us, even challenging each other in that way. And I remember specifically, there was one example where, I, so I, I was in, had an engineering internship most of the summers in college that paid pretty well for a college student. And so I was able to save up uh, several thousand dollars, actually probably close to $10,000 throughout college and didn't have that many expenses that I needed that for. And so towards the end of college, I remember talking with uh, Allie and feeling like he had actually called us to use that money to help pay off the student loans of somebody I knew who was going into uh, vocational ministry. And we actually kind of went down that path for quite a ways. And um, that person ended up declining that offer when it was presented to them anonymously. But that was the first kind of big action that God placed on our hearts together. And so we got married after college and we're doing pretty well financially right off the bat. I was an engineer and had a decent income and Allie started off in a couple temp jobs and then kind of settled into a, a regular office job. And so we had a double income and we didn't have that expensive of a lifestyle. We you know, lived pretty simply and we're happy with, with everything that we had. And so we were able to start tithing, which is something that we felt called to early on. And then uh, God started to place a number of other things on our hearts. One big one was I actually read a book called Revolution and World Missions by K.P. Yohannan. And that book really had a another significant impact on me. That was kind of another turning point early on. And the whole book was about uh, native missionaries. So, you know, the traditional sense of missions work when we think about is sending people from the U.S. or from the West out to places where the gospel is, is continuing to grow in Africa or Asia. But there's actually a really big movement of native missionaries where people are already in these areas and have come to a faith in Christ and are actually extremely effective at reaching their own family and neighbors. And I learned that 
these native missionaries in a lot of these, especially poorer countries, required far less to live on than the typical Western missionary that we send. And so it got me excited just about the impact we could have by supporting native missionaries. You know, within our own budget, we were able to support a number of missionaries. And that was just with our simple out-of-college income. And so God got us really excited on that. And we started to really build up our focus on native missionaries, along with a couple other um, small causes. And then I got into med school and we kind of came to a big crossroads in some of this path that God had been leading us down. And so we knew that going into med school, first we were going to be moving to Philadelphia. Um, We were living in Maryland at the time. And we knew that it was going to cost about $50,000 a year of tuition. And we had saved up enough for to cover maybe one semester of med school. But after that, we didn't know where everything was going to come from. And so we figured at some point we would probably have to take out loans to cover all of that med school tuition. And we had to decide if our passion for native missionaries and, and spreading the gospel abroad made sense to continue supporting through med school. And we thought and prayed a lot about that and eventually came to the decision that it didn't, if we were to continue that through med school, we would probably end up taking out loans to support that continued effort. And so we decided to, what was wisest for us at the time was to cut back our giving to just our core commitments or tithing and one or two smaller things that we were committed to. And then we kind of cut everything else for the duration of med school. But God had already really started to stretch our hearts and and to get us excited about all of these things. And so we were eager to get back to it. So as we started med school, we started to pray, even before we got to med school, really vigorously for God to help us get through med school without any loans. And it felt like an enormous prayer at the time because we knew that was you know, we were looking at two hundred to two hundred fifty thousand dollars over the course of med school, and I was leaving my job in engineering, and she just had her office job, but we were moving across states, and so we didn't know how any of that was going to fit together. But but that was the prayer that that we laid down, and that is where things started to get very interesting. So we got to med school, and the the first crazy thing that happened was Allie's job. And remember, this is pre-COVID times where 90% of people weren't already working from home. Um, Her job had actually just started to kind of dabble with remote work situation kind of deal. And then they really valued what she had been doing in the time that we lived in Maryland. And so they actually asked her if she'd be willing to stay on and work completely remotely from Philadelphia. And so, of course, she said yes it just made a lot of sense to keep her job that she was already comfortable with and to keep that income while we were getting settled in Philadelphia with our living expenses there and with all these tuition payments. So that was a crazy blessing right out the gate, and and we were very blessed for that. And so we were able to cover that first tuition with some of our savings, like I said. But then uh, by the time we got to the time to pay for that second semester, we realized that we had just started to reach 
enough savings to actually cover that without having to take out any loans for that semester. And so we, we paid for that second semester and we continued praying vigorously, both of us, that God would allow us to get through med school without any loans with that desire to get back to a lot of the commitments that we had had to set aside for med school. And after that, there it seemed like almost story after story, we just saw God completely open up everything uh, before us. And money just started to trickle in from all kinds of different places. And some of the stories are actually a little ridiculous. At some point, we had to start writing them down because we were like, there's no way that this could be happening. One example is our car got hit by a U-Haul probably in my first or second year in med school. Our beloved 15-year Toyota Camry um, and uh, got smashed pretty good on the front. It was parked in, in the street and uh, we got out. They had left a note and everything. We, we talked to the U-Haul insurance and they, they sent out an inspector that looked at it and said, you know, the, the cost of these repairs is nowhere, is going to be way more than the cost of the car. So we'll just total the car and, and give you the, the cost of the car. So they gave us a check for something around $3,000 and we were looking at the car and there was, you know, a decent amount of cosmetic damage. But other than that, the only functional deficit it had was uh, that the tire needed to be replaced, which cost about $200. So we replaced the tire and just put the, the other 2800 towards uh, the next med school tuition bill. And story after story like that continued to happen. One of them, I remember mom was looking through some of her uh, investment papers and, and things like that and realized that she had actually taken out a stock in Amazon, like probably in the first or second year that Amazon started, back when nobody was using it really, uh, which is kind of hard to believe that there was ever a time like that. But she had taken it out with the intention of helping cover some of my college tuition, which clearly didn't get used for that purpose. And so when she found it, she said, hey, you know, I just found this. Um, why don't you put it towards med school? And, and that covered like half a semester of med school. And so, you know, af every semester, it seemed like just enough would come through at the final minute to cover everything for the next semester. And so the other big blessing that happened throughout this time is Allie started to build her photography career. That was her dream job. And God really opened the doors for her to become a wedding photographer. And she was able to do that side by side with the uh, job she was doing from home. And so by the end of med school, she was actually making more in photography than she was in her regular job. And so she essentially, you know, we essentially had a double income and I wasn't either of the incomes. I just spent it all on tuition. So um, <laughs> that, that, had a big impact as well. Right. So you noticed a pattern of answered prayers that would be too many coincidences to explain outside of God providing. Yeah. I mean, it, it was just crazy how many times God showed up. And it was a great testament to prayer in general, I think, because since we were so consistently praying that God would allow us to get through med school without loans and allow us to get back to giving, every time something would happen, we immediately turned it right back to God. We knew that that, that came from God and that that wasn't a coincidence or 
luck or or other people looking out for us. That was God answering our prayers directly. And along with that, we also lived quite tightly during all of med school. I went back and looked at our budget at the time, and I think we were probably living somewhere around the 30th percentile or so in in income and expenses in order to make sure we could put the maximum amount towards tuition. Uh, But yeah, it was just crazy how God showed up for us during those four years. So as we got towards the end of med school, we started to look towards the next five or 10 years and we're just reflecting on what a weird path doctors take through life financially. First, there's undergrad where you take, you know, a lot of people end up taking loans. Then there's med school where, like I said, most people end up taking loans. Actually, probably 70% or more of people end up with quite a lot of loans through med school. And I even had classmates who finished med school with somewhere around $400,000 in loans. So a significant deal for most people. And and during those years, you learn to live on very little and to, you know, to live tight and concisely. And then there's residency where uh, you're paid a modest amount, less than I made as an engineer, but definitely enough to, to get by comfortably. And then after residency, which is anywhere from three to six or seven years, depending on your specialty, then you go into practice as a physician and your income can go up three, four or five times overnight. And so we were looking at all these potential jumps in the future, the first being me becoming a resident and actually having an income and wanted to find some way to protect ourselves from that uh, lifestyle bump that came along with that. We knew that we were pretty comfortable, probably more tight than we really wanted to be at the time, but but not too far away from, I think, what what our goal was. And we wanted to find some kind of a limit or benchmark that could keep us on track so that as we went through these different stages of life, our lifestyle didn't didn't just expand to fill up whatever there was to fill. I find it so interesting that you use the term protect yourself from that lifestyle bump when you go to practicing as a physician because when I, as I mentioned last episode, I at one time thought I was going to be a doctor and I was fully prepared to take on hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt to eventually get that huge income and then just let things work out at that point. But that's not really how you saw it, was it? Yeah, well, I think we were blessed to... Some people go straight into med school and don't really have to work out any uh, real life before then. And we had that blessing of that little gap between college and med school where I was working as an engineer. And and that's really where God let us put into action some of that calling that he had put on our lives to to generosity and towards really being a part of the stuff that he was already doing in international missions and uh, a number of other things in that kind of arena. And so having already tasted some of that and experiencing that and just wanting more and more, having to go back to being a student with no income and having this huge money suck of tuition over our heads, we just wanted to do everything we could to minimize the amount of time it would take us to get back to what we were excited about before med school. So 
like I said, we're looking around for some sort of a benchmark. And this was actually a several-year process. We played around first with, there's a couple good websites out there uh, that can kind of give you an idea for what the cost of living for any region should kind of be. And we were using one of those early on, which you kind of, it, it'll tell you, you should expect the cost of groceries to be this for a family of this with the kids of these ages, et cetera. And you should expect rent or mortgage to be this and gas and automobile costs to be this. And it broke it all down into like eight or nine major categories. And so we, that was our first system for a while. And it wasn't designed for what we were using it for. It was actually designed to kind of guide poverty nonprofits in how to best support pulling people out of poverty. But we were kind of using it in the reverse way, how to bring ourselves down to what a normal, comfortable lifestyle should be expected. But there was a number of ways that it didn't really match what we were trying to do in the way that we were trying to do it. And we, our family was also growing at the time, and it was hard to keep that factored in. And so we next switched to another website that aggregated a lot of income data. And we experimented with different ways that we could use income data from the government to benchmark ourselves. And so we looked at how does the income in our zip code compare and and we actually found out that if you look at our whole zip code, it's actually a pretty low income area. And so the expected income for that area was quite a bit lower for what we were trying to kind of benchmark ourselves to, and it just didn't quite fit right. So then we looked at the whole city of Philadelphia, and that includes all of the people living in Center City, in uh, Rittenhouse, and in expensive areas like that. And so then the income measures jumped up quite well beyond what we were kind of looking for. And so it was hard to find something that fit. And and it seemed also like by just tweaking what we defined as our region or our area, we could kind of just fit the numbers to whatever we wanted to do. And so that's where we kind of broadened it to looking at the whole country. And so we just used the the basic household income data from the census and that's based on an average household size of two and a half people. And we were able to see where on that spectrum of incomes did our income fit in and could tell, you know, were we, were we making well above the median or 50 percentile income or were we well below? And that I feel like was the first time where I really had a picture for where we stood in comparison to everybody. And through that, we were able to kind of better pick a benchmark that we felt made sense for us in the big picture. And as part of that, we also had to find a way to scale that for family size. So, Because obviously, we, we didn't have a family of two and a half people. I think we had probably a family of either three or four at the time. And so we went through a couple of different iterations of trying to figure that out and, and actually learned that there's already a really good scale for that, which is the poverty line. So the poverty line is basically the line that, def that the government defines as the absolute minimum that 
a person or family or really a household of any different size should have to meet their most basic needs. And those are food, housing, shelter, that sort of thing. So we weren't trying to use the poverty line exactly, but what the poverty line did is it actually had a really standard increment for each additional person that needs to be supported in the household. There was a set increment. And so we were able to scale that increment and to use it with the income data that we had been looking from looking at all of the incomes across the country. And so when we're looking at the, the median income or the 50th percentile income, we could scale that from two and a half people to four people and get a number that made sense. And basically saying for four people, that same standard of living as, as two and a half people living at the 50th percentile. So it just gave us a way to scale for family size. And so that's the system that we started using. And we were doing this by hand and recalculating it each year. And that's the system that we actually use on the aspiring to the median website calculator now is that same system. It's just all automated and much easier to use than the way that we had been doing it by hand. Right. And I think Steph and I are probably the first beneficiaries of all of those iterations that you went through. But when we were selecting a percentile using the calculator that you built using that methodology, we had to look at the cost of living in Maryland compared to the rest of the United States and compared to Pennsylvania just to understand where we fall. And that did weigh into our ultimate decision. But I I don't honestly believe that we would have gone through all that effort to get to where you did (laughs) and all those inputs that went into the calculator. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's way easier for us to use too. I'm really glad that it, you know, we were able to finally put the work in up front to just build it all out. So now it's much easier to adjust each year as those, that new income data comes in each year. But that was a couple of years ago. And Allie and I have been basically living at that threshold that we set back then all the way up until now. And now we have four kids. So we've scaled it by, as our family has grown, but have basically kept that same standard of living based on the income data. And so it's been really helpful for us. And even in residency, we were able to surpass that limit that we had chosen. And so we started to have a pool of excess money on the side pooling up that we had designated to be used for something greater than ourselves, greater than our family, and have been able to start to get back into some of the things that we had to set aside a number of years ago. And so it's, you know, it's come full circle at this point. And we also started to notice that the practice of basically defining how much is enough by setting some kind of limit like that, there were a number of other ripple effects that we had not anticipated. A big one was how we approach work and potential income. And so as a resident, you know, I had to work whenever I was told to work, whatever my shifts were, be on call when I was told to be on call, etc. So there wasn't a lot of flexibility for me. But for Allie, at, at that point, she had finally been able to quit her day job and transition to photography full time. 
And as a business owner and, and freelance photographer, she had complete control over how much work she accepted and how much she turned down. And so in the early years where we had no kids or one girl, our oldest Addie, she was able to take on a lot of weddings and a lot of stuff during the week because she had the time to, and it made sense. But as we have (laughs) accumulated children and, you know, being at home has meant more to her, she's been able to very freely turn down work that doesn't make sense for her lifestyle and what she wants to do. And so, you know, that fourth or fifth weekend in a row of shooting and weddings and other work-related things doesn't always make sense for her anymore. And so it's hard to turn down a several thousand dollar wedding when you know you're technically free and available to do it. But when we knew that we were ultimately going to be giving it away, there's still some incentive to do it because she enjoys the work and and there is a lot of joy in being able to give. But then that is contrasted against what she's giving up in order to do that. And that's time with our family. And in some periods of residency, the weekends were the main time that we were able to see each other because my hours were so long. And so it just gave her a lot of clarity in, in when to say no. And that was something that we had not expected at all, but that has been a huge blessing and has really allowed us to have a very balanced life in that respect. So we continued on like that for several years and continued to grow and God stretching us in a number of ways. And then over the last couple years, really, it's been kind of on the back of my mind that I really, I had seen how much we had gotten out of this process and this system and just the setting a limit at all and really wanted to create a path for other people to be able to do that. But it just seemed like there were so many barriers every time that I kind of pictured what that might look like. And so for years, it was on my mind, but we were never able to do anything about it. But clearly God had a plan in mind for all this from very early on, because uh, even though I don't have any formal web design training, God actually gave me a lot of web design skills from building Allie's photography website early on and then later building a website for for foster parents in Philadelphia. And in each of those processes, gained a lot of the skills I needed behind the scenes to be able to actually build the Aspiring to the Median website. And so that idea for a website was in the back of my mind for a while as well. But there were a couple of kinks that I couldn't quite work out. I didn't know if I had the right tools to build out the calculator and a couple other key components. And so wasn't able to do anything. And then earlier this year, uh, right as COVID started, a bunch of things happened at once. First, you know, so I usually work 60 plus hours a week as a resident, sometimes way more than that. And so it's very difficult to do any kind of side projects with that kind of a schedule. But with COVID, everything came to a screeching halt. And suddenly there was a huge amount of time available where basically we were all just sitting at home looking for something to do. I do remember when you started showing me the websites that you were building, 
and the, the Foster website, Fostering Philly especially, and thinking to myself, what is a resident and a father of several girls doing designing websites in his free time? <laughs> and even if you squeeze any free time out of your week, why would you spend it doing that? But the, I think this time that you're about to talk about is where it all really started to come together. Yeah, yeah, and God has clearly been guiding all of this. And it's just funny because we don't even know why some stuff is happening when it is happening. And then it's only in retrospect that you kind of see the whole picture for what it is. But God is seeing it on such a higher level than all of that all the time. I don't, <laughs> it makes me wonder why I ever stop trusting Him. But it's a process. Anyway, so COVID happens. Everybody's working from home and, you know, I'm still called into the hospital here and there, but they're basically trying to keep us out of the hospital as much as possible. And so I decided to reread Crazy Love. I remember what an impact it had been on me early on and, and I just wanted to reconnect with it. And so I'm about halfway through the book and I get to this passage, Francis Chance going through all these people who have done all of these amazing things. And he just finished talking about a guy who donated his entire house to the church and moved in with his parents and said that he'll have a better house in heaven and it doesn't really matter where he lives during this lifetime. Just stories like that over and over. And then this passage comes up. Dream a little bit about what it might look like for you. Perhaps you start a movement called Aspiring to the Median where people commit to living at or below the U.S. median income and giving the rest away. Is it intimidating to think about giving radically and liberally? And while that wasn't exactly what we were doing, it was pretty darn close. And I remember just putting the book down and immediately searching Google for Aspiring to the Median. And I just wanted to see if something already existed, if there were people that were already doing this and how I could get in contact with them. And when I searched, there was nothing in the search results it was completely blank. There, The domain was not taken. There was just no evidence of anything. And I realized that in the passage, he was just talking about it as a theoretical idea. And so I think probably within the hour, I had called you and just started telling you about all of what I had just read and how closely it had connected with what we had been doing with our finances. And I know you and I had been talking a lot about these ideas over the last year or two leading up to this. And so it was just really exciting to see it all kind of fit together. And that name, Aspiring to the Median, just made perfect sense. And I had never been able to think of a name that really kind of fit what we were doing at all. And that same day, the last several technical kinks about how to build the website all solved themselves. And there was literally no barriers to us getting started. And so with all of the time that we had, we just immediately put everything that we had into building out the very first version of the Aspiring to the Median website. And that's how everything started. Just a quick plug for Crazy Love. I think you gave that book to me shortly after you read it the first time. And I probably sat on it for several years before actually opening it myself after college. And that Reading that book, just like you said, started to set in motion 
some of the behaviors and actions that I've taken since reading it. And those decisions have really led to a lot of growth in my own faith. So I would recommend that you check out that book if you do have some time. And I remember that day so vividly when you came across that passage and you gave me a call and I got goosebumps just listening to how excited you were about all these things that we'd been discussing for a number of years starting to really come together and things just moved very quickly from that point forward. Yeah, they did. And the COVID stay-at-home orders really helped facilitate that as well. So we built the website very quickly and started sending it around to people. And there was a lot of interest and excitement early on. And, and one of the cool things that happened through that process is we were actually able to get connected to a number of people who are already doing really interesting work in the area of generosity, who take what the Bible says about money very seriously and directly apply it to their own lives. And one of the things that really surprised me and drew me in as I started to hear stories from all of these different people is that so many of them had come to the same conclusions. And it's all from Scripture, the idea that God owns everything and we're just responsible for how we manage it on His behalf. I've heard that same concept in multiple versions in other people's books and in people talking and in the testimonies of people who are doing some really radical and awesome work for the kingdom. And hearing a lot of these stories just really validated what you and I were talking about and and the message that we were trying to share, because clearly this was not something that we had come up with on our own. This is something that is true, and we were merely reflecting that outwardly for others to hear as well. So after some of that initial website started to form, then we realized we needed some way for people to actually engage with the material and to be able to apply it to their own life. I recognized that it was a many-year process of God slowly and incrementally working on my heart and Allie's heart to get us to where we were. And we had seen so much fruit come from that, but it was not a simple decision and process. It was a very involved walking with God through that. And I watched the same happening in your life as you and Steph slowly started to walk through things. And you and I talked for many, many hours about all of this before it all started to settle in and you guys were able to actually start to take action. And so that's where we started to build the impact program. And I know we've talked about it on the show a couple of times at this point, but it's basically a small group structure program over eight weeks, just like a, any kind of Bible study or small group. Christians love to form themselves into small groups. And so it just felt natural to build this program out that way. And it allows people to explore all of the scriptural background and biblical foundation for all of the concepts that we had been talking about for all these years and also to work through in a very practical way how to apply those principles to their life and and how to come to an answer for 
how much is enough? How much do I actually need for myself and my family so that I can begin using the rest of that excess for things bigger than myself, for whatever God leads me to do with that? And it has been a lot of fun watching the impact program grow and to watch groups form and to watch people start to walk through the same process that you and I have been through. So Keelan, over the next five or 10 years, what do you see for yourself and what is your vision for aspiring to the median? So for myself, Allie and I are very excited to finish residency, which is very soon, and to actually get out into practice as a physician and to start to use that salary that comes with it and to be able to start really giving a large amount. We're already, like I said, past the limit that we had set as a resident. And so I know that my income is going to jump by several times and we're going to be able to freely give all of that away. And that would have been very difficult to do if, if we had not been intentionally walking through this process and making these decisions along the way from an early point. If we had suddenly walked into that income without any kind of structure in place, I think it would have been very difficult for us to find some kind of line. But now that we have everything in place, the kinds of things that we're excited about are all the things that we're going to be able to give to. And I feel like God is every month showing us new ways that we're going to be able to really pour that extra income to be able to be used for his kingdom. And I think that's what really gets me excited about all of this in the first place. I mean, you and I and anybody else listening, you only have so many years on earth, right? You get, you know, your best case, you know, you get your 70 to 90 years, maybe 100, uh, and minus however many you've used up so far. And I really want to get the absolute most out of those years. And I think my greatest fear is accidentally getting to the end of life and realizing that there was so much more that there that was available to me to be a part of, that God was just doing completely ridiculous stuff all around me through people and through situations, and, and then I just missed it, you know? And I think that's where wanting to put up these shields and guards to protect myself from accidentally getting to that point came from, and... And it's been working to some degree. And and so, you know, I I hope that he will continue to help protect Allie and and me from that slow slide that's always kind of working against us. It really takes action and movement to work against just kind of settling into comfort. And, And so I'm really excited to see what kind of things God can do with uh, all that he has provided to us. And then for aspiring to the median, I am excited on a whole different level. You know, I'm committed to this movement for the rest of the time that God gives me here. And I think that you would say the same. And it is so obvious that he has been massively working through this just by all of the different ways that he has helped these different pieces come together in exactly the right way. And he has never given us the whole picture at once. He has only ever given us one step at a time. But as we continue to walk steps, and now we've been through a lot of steps, uh, you and I both, we can look back and see 
where some of that path has been leading and are starting to get some of the bigger picture. And, and so as I look out towards the next uh, 5, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, I get excited about the idea of a massive movement of people, you know, hundreds, thousands, or hundreds of thousands of people who have all committed to trying to channel all of what they have available to them to have the maximum impact for the kingdom, whether that's in their own neighborhoods, wherever God has placed them, or with the relationships and the people that God brings through their life, or whether that's through work internationally where where our dollars have a hundred times the effect that they do here, or whether that's through sharing the gospel all around the world, and especially in those last pockets of people who have never heard the gospel, you know, looking back towards Christ's final command for us to bring the gospel to all nations. And so with the wealth that is in the Western hemisphere right now, there is so much potential for God to do some incredible things that we can't even imagine right now. And it would not even take that many people to make it happen. We actually have a calculator on the website. I was just kind of curious at one point, and I was thinking, what if 100 people all spread from the first percentile to the 99th percentile in income, all committed to living at the median income? Uh, not that I think everybody should always have the same cutoff, but, but just out of curiosity, how much would those 100 people be able to give? And so we built out a calculator to basically do that math. You can figure that out. And 100 people this year who made that commitment, you know, the, the lower 50 would, not, would already be spending less than the 50th percentile, but those upper 50 would all begin to start giving more and more. And so those 100 people would actually give away $2.6 million in one year. And then... We looked at it for 100,000 people. What if 100,000 people were, were doing this? And that comes out to $2.6 billion a year. And just imagine what could be done with $2.6 billion of money that people had freely let go and offered to God to use for whatever purposes he saw fit. It would just be astronomical. There would be no way for people to not see the church moving. And so that's what I'm excited about. And I know that God can do that. And I know that he can get there and he's already begun that process. And so I'm just excited for each step of the way. It's so great to hear you cast vision for not only your own life, but for this whole project. And it's such a pleasure to be part of it. And I think that vision is a lot of what gets me excited when I think about what's coming down the road and seeing a little bit more of, of that bigger picture that God has laid out before us. Well, that's about all the time we have for today, but thank you for sharing your story and just being really honest and real about what's been going on in your life and how that's gotten you to where you are today and how God's been working in your life. Yeah, and I'm excited to see you know what God does next. For today's Manager Minute, I just wanted to highlight the act of anonymous giving Steph and I have participated in this a couple times, and I got to tell you, it is really exhilarating to do something for someone 
and never take credit for it or expect anything in return. And that really gets you to the heart of generosity. So I would encourage you, if you ever see an opportunity to give anonymously, go ahead and take that opportunity. You won't regret it. Well, thanks so much for listening. As always, you can find the show notes for this episode at aspiringtothemedian.com slash episode three. Remember, we have a whole bunch of topics we want to get through and a bunch of people we want to talk to. So join us again for our next episode. show. This <laughs> <is> so hard. <laughs> We're going to have an outtakes reel. Yeah, it'll be great. <laughs>